Welcome to Screen Therapy. I'm your host, Jason Schurz. In October of 2018, I found myself in the hospital, sitting across from a psychiatrist who was telling me that I was bipolar. I was released with a bunch of medication and laid on the couch for about a week. I had my iTunes library on shuffle, trying to shake the hornet's nest from my head. Ever since I was a kid, I've been using music for therapy and as a way to escape. Punk rock and mental health have always been connected. This podcast looks at that connection through the lens of different guests. This is Screen Therapy. Years and years ago, I put on a show in Victoria for a band from Peoria, Illinois called Planes Mistaken for Stars. Their lead singer and guitar player, Garrett O'Donnell, you can tell that he's going into another place when he's playing. I asked him about this at Fest in Gainesville, Florida. I didn't know at the time that he had panic attacks and that he was suffering from them all through his life. I really admired his strength and perseverance through it all. That's what it takes sometimes to get through mental health challenges. You have to have the strength, you have to have the courage, and you have to really put your mind to getting better. My name is Garrett O'Donnell from the band Planes Mistaken for Stars. I've been uh, doing Planes since 1997, I believe. Before that, I was in local bands. Same old story as everybody else. In regard to what we're here for, I guess I had my first bout of uh, anxiety or real indication that something was wrong uh, about 12 years ago. Planes was playing what was supposed to be our last show, and I was not feeling good all day. Of course, I had been drinking too much around that period. I was going through a divorce, and my band was breaking up, but uh, I felt terrible all day. I was dry heaving all day. I didn't understand because I, I hadn't eaten. There was nothing that was making me sick, but then we got about 30 seconds into our first song, and it just, everything in my life changed. Right then, I didn't know what it was going to mean for the future. I didn't know anything except for I was certain I was dying right then, and I could not get out of my skin quick enough. Uh, I dropped my guitar, and I took off running out the back door of the club, and there's like three, 400 people there waiting. I made it right to the back door, and I got caught by the collar by uh, our manager, Emily, at the time. Luckily, a couple friends back there one was um, he's a professional fighter, and the other one's a physical therapist. So the fighter guy taught me how to breathe. The physical therapist just rubbed me back into 
consciousness of the, the real world. And then I also realized that it's the first time that I'd ever tried playing without having a drink. Stone sober, which yeah, that's good, but that's not always the smartest to drink every day and then cut cold turkey. It'll, it'll put you in a, a weird spot. I, I made it back to stage. I did the whole show, and it was great. It ended up being great. And I thought that was an isolated incident. But um, over the years, it just happened more and more and more. And then other little tragedies would happen, whether it was physical altercations or being attacked over the years. It made me very hypervigilant and very much given me kind of a perpetual case of anxiety. It's definitely a, a conscious thing every day to fight it. I mean, it sounds like a tough go there. And then the band went on a hiatus after that as well. How was yeah. that whole period? Like, I mean, where did you go from that? Uh, it was kind of rough because then the last time, you know, we had a couple more things. Or no, we didn't have a couple more things. I just got dropped off in Illinois. At my, I lived with my mom for almost two years in her basement, which was fucking terrible. Uh, and I was going through a really messy, at the time, divorce and custody thing with my kids. And my kids are my world. I think what what happened is, by and large, if I were to diagnose myself from all that I've read and people I've talked to that are pretty knowledgeable about these things, I would say I have really serious separation anxiety. You know, if my wife goes to, like, she goes on work trips and stuff. Like, she went to Haiti for a week yeah. She's a nurse. And that was awful. Like, it was awful for me. I don't need to, you know, I don't need anybody up my butt or vice versa. I don't need to be babysat. But when people leave, even at the end of tours now, when I have to say goodbye to the guys, I immediately get sick. Do you think that's something to do with childhood issues? I know for me, I have a lot of abandonment issues. So I have exactly the same thing. My wife goes away or, or I have to be doing something by myself and I just crumble. Yeah, it probably has a little bit to do with shit that happened when I was a kid. In my mind's eye, I know exactly what those things are now, since I've been thinking about it. I try to concentrate more on recent history, because that I can kind of nip and tuck. Yeah, You know what I mean? I can shore that up a little easier, and also I can be proactive and be like, oh, hey, this bothered me, and I actually can talk to the people involved you know i can talk to my band i can't go back in time to when i was in first grade and talk to the things that fucked me up then you know yeah. you know i can work on shit with my wife and with my kids and with my ex you know and and say hey this is where this comes from then also like as a side note here about six years ago i started to feel really on top of it everything i hadn't had a panic attack in forever uh, the band was doing stuff again or getting ready to, you know, we had just bought our house. Everything's fucking great. And I was like, wow, really feeling on the mend from whatever this thing was. And then I got into uh, an altercation where I was jumped basically right in my driveway by wow. a bunch of just a bunch of kids. When I say kids, I'm like like six foot tall kids, you know, <laughs> yeah. like what happened was and I'll be really brief with this is uh, we live in a pretty urban neighborhood. And between our backyard, there's an alley, and then there's a church. And in that church, the alley, kids will hang out. There's a lot of gangs in my area, and so that's kind of where they would be, you know? And usually it's just one or two kids being loud at night, and I don't give a fuck. Yeah. You know, I mean, I 
I'm still very much a kid myself, whatever. I've sat in the alley and drank beers. (laughs) But one night it was really, really loud and my kids were sleeping. It was summer. My wife was sleeping. She was in school at the time. So I went out like normal. Usually there'd be one or two kids out there smoking a spliff or something and I wouldn't care. But I went out this time and I turned the corner and there's about 15 or 16 of them. <laughs> and, and I'm in my fucking pajamas, which consist of jorts and flip flops. And anyway, I said, hey, guys, I don't care. You can stay here all night. I'm not going to fucking call the cops. Do whatever. Because they had like they were blaring music and whatever. I sound like such an old man right now. But <laughs> <laughs> I was like, can you turn it down? And they're like, yeah, yeah, cool. And as soon as I turned my back, I felt the static. I don't know if you've ever been able to feel that kind of thing, but yeah, like a tingling a, feeling. Yeah, I mean, I was a security guy for a door guy for a, a, quite some time, and you just know when something's going to happen. And I felt that, and I was like, "Fuck!" And the next thing I knew, uh, one of them had jumped off the stairs and cold cocked me, and then four of them jumped on my back and they kind of boot stomped me for a little while. Yeah, brutal. I was able to get up and kind of block my vitals and walk back to my yard basically my fence and holler for my wife you know and she ran out yelling and they all took off the process of everything trying to get that taken care of and make it feel like my family could be safe took a long time the police were no help they're awful saying shit like you know what your problem is you shouldn't have bought your house and stuff like that and so it just really made me feel fucking vulnerable and then all the anxiety came back to the point where I couldn't leave the house because I didn't want to leave my wife and kids here. Yeah. So it's like a triggering trauma from before. Yeah. And so what it is, is I've always been fucking jumpy. Always. I've always just been a little bit ready for the fucking other shoe to drop. And now after that attack in particular, and I had had one or two other things in my life that were just as fucking gnarly. (laughs) It's just, I don't know. I just had bad luck or just the fucking wrong mouth. Who knows? To begin with, I'd never sit with my back to the door. I always got to know all the exits. I always got to just know which way's out. It's it's what you call hypervigilant. I just fucking can't rest. Eyes on all the exits. I'm fucking sizing people up. So you keep using the words panic and, and attack. Now, are, do you suffer from full-fledged panic attacks? I believe so. I mean, I think that they're probably different for everybody because I've known people that are saying they're having a panic attack but it doesn't seem like it from my perspective, but also, mm-hmm. what do you know? I mean, there's times where I've had to pull over. I've even almost asked the police for help. Or I'll take routes on my drives that I know I'll be by hospitals. Wow. Because I can't fucking breathe when it happens. I can't catch my breath. I get really fucking hot. Sometimes I have to ice myself down. I haven't had one that bad for years. This last tour that we did in Europe, I started to getting on stage once and I don't know what brought it on I can't really say I know I had a lot of stuff on my mind but nothing that would give me a fight or flight sort of response and some of my closest friends have been like I don't understand what you're talking about because you're so usually so cool under pressure which is true if everything's fucked up and on fire I'm cool I'm like all right here's what we can do I think because I'm in control of the situation then I know what's happening it's I think it's the waiting for it to happen that fucks me up Let's uh, let's back up a little bit. So a lot of young folks, uh, when they're you know dealing with issues, whether it's being bullied or mental health issues, uh, they find punk rock. And and I know that I've talked to a lot of people in the punk scene who are looking for something, who are lost and and found a home in punk. 
So can you remember back when that first started for you, when you first got into punk rock, sort of how it all came about? I was joking about this earlier with my lady. We're getting to an age, seems like once you hit your 40s, you start to see people like dying or starting to live. They're getting healthy. It's hard for me to tell who punk rock saved and who punk rock killed. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I'm glad that that I I found it. I've had so I've I've lived several lifetimes. All the bullshit that I'm whining about now, the panic attacks and stuff, it needs to be talked about and I shouldn't say whining. That's why it's a problem because you're not allowed to talk about it without people making it sound like you're whining. But through all of whatever bullshit you have to deal with, at least in my experience, like punk rock is 110% worth it because it's opened up a whole universe to me. All these wonderful people that I've met all over the world that make it easier to get through the fucking day. Yeah. That's all because of punk rock. In a lifetime, you're lucky to have one or two really genuinely good friends or meet one or two truly genuine people. I feel like a lot of us, because of what punk rock is and where it comes from, have met them in spades. We're, we're lucky. Like, just to be able to, like, all right, because of punk rock, we're talking to each other right now about how do we deal with this mental health shit? Yeah. And how do we get past the stigma of it? Because nobody wants to fucking admit they're weak or that they're flawed or that they have problems. But because of the way we were reared with the right punk rock, we understand that that's fucking punk rock, man. Being able to fucking admit it and own yourself. That's what's kind of helped me over the last couple of years have less and less attacks and have less moments where I feel overwhelmed. I just own it. I'm just like, it's just like I'm having a fucking hiccup attack or something. You know, I can't be ashamed of myself because the biggest thing for a very long time that would prompt a panic attack is me being afraid I was going to have a panic attack. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there's a disorder around that. I think it's called panic disorder where it's not necessarily the attacks, but it's the fear of having the attacks that bring them on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, like I almost, I almost canceled this. It took you a while to, to peg me. Did it ever. Part yeah. of that is because I, I get fucking panicky, then I'm going to panic and I'm going to fucking sound like an idiot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. it's, so per- it's so personal and there's no right way to talk about it. And then I get really excited that somebody actually wants to listen and then I talk over myself. And certainly over the person I'm talking to, as you're bearing witness to now. Yeah, that's all good. Um, <laughs> first band that really shook you out of your, I don't know where I belong phase when you're younger it was probably dag nasty dag nasty and then later sam i am and jawbreaker yeah. really those three bands in particular because i liked punk rock i loved it you know i loved the misfits earth ad i loved fucking everything with black black flag like i love that stuff and it resonated with me but it didn't feel incredibly personal it just felt like an awesome science fiction movie or something i got it but it didn't feel like necessarily totally mine and then when I heard Dag Nasty and I really read the lyrics, I was like, oh, these these guys are talking about my life. Like I can relate to this in a way that's very relatable. And most great punk rock you can. But when you're fucking 15 getting into this stuff, there's so many derivative bands out there that you have to wade through to get to the real thing. And, you know, you get into punk rock and you hear Black Flag and then you hear the Exploited or something <laughs> like that. And I can't really... Yeah, I love GBH, but I can't really, a lot of that I can't really relate to. 
mohawk punk thing. I, I was starting to not really find it relatable. Punk as a style didn't really resonate with me after yeah. the first six months of being into it. I was just like, wait a second. Is there something else to this? And I found out there was, and it was Stag Nasty. And then, you know, of course, the whole Discord thing, which led me to Rights of Spring, which led me to Embrace, all those bands. I was blown away with Jawbreaker because, you know, a lifelong fan found them when I was 18 or 19. And then just recently, I was diagnosed bipolar uh, a year and a half ago or so and found out that Blake also lives with that. I've been listening to this band since I was a kid and totally identifying with all these lyrics. And then now I realize that we had a lot in common. Yeah, and that's a that's a whole ball of wax there too. I have a couple very, very, very near and dear friends that are bipolar and it's a hard row, especially if you don't know. Yeah. You don't know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, that's why I think it's real cool what you're doing with this whole thing because again, there's so much stigma attached to illnesses. For example, I'm an alcoholic. I think that it's grievous that in the medical community, they don't have like a tier system to, to figure out, okay, well, what kind of alcoholic are you? The thing is, when they talk to you, they're like, you're a fucking rummy. Like you are just in the dregs. Like I'm drinking hair tonic in the morning. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I, I'm an alcoholic in the sense that like I have to have a drink every day. Come about six o'clock, I start to get sweaty, start to get shaky. And that's part of the thing. I've been self-medicating for the last 15 years. There are a lot a lot of good medicines out there if they if they diagnose you correctly. But I've seen uh, nightmare scenarios where people, well, even with me, the last time I tried to be on meds, I went into a total tailspin. And the, yeah. the psychiatrist I was dealing with he talked to me for five minutes. That's it. It really put me off because he's like, hey, you take these for a month, and if you don't feel better, I'll get you the real good stuff. And I was like, the real good stuff? You're playing with me. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like just willy-nilly fucking shooting off the hip. I know some folks at Bipolar that have gone through 15, 20 different kinds of meds. I've been pretty lucky. I've been you know, on lithium, which is my sort of my base, and then added another mood stabilizer in the last, you know, six months or so. Yeah, they're they're just trying things out. It's just a case of let's see what sticks. Yeah, and it didn't stick with me. Yeah. And had it, I would sing its praises. But I'll tell you, for me, what they put me on was, you know, when you see those commercials, if you experience blah, 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 if you start counting the bullets, you know, <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. And I had every one of them. And I'm not dark in that manner. I've never thought about suicide. It's not my not my thing. But I started thinking about it seriously as an option. Mm-hmm. An option to what? I don't know. I didn't feel suicidal until they put me on pills to make me feel better. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, uh, I don't feel very good. <laughs> yeah, you know? wrong, wrong match for sure. I had a similar experience where I was put on an antidepressant before we all knew that I was living with bipolar. And 10 days it took me to go psychotic. 10 days. Yikes. Yeah. Years ago, again, when I was just going through the initial, like, when starting these panic attacks and I was going through all my personal stuff, a physician was like, let's get you on Prozac. And I was like, sure, whatever, anything to make me feel like not as miserable as I do. But now I realize that part of feeling miserable is normal in life. You know what I mean? Like, it's when you're going through heavy, heavy shit like that, you're supposed to feel it. 
like a divorce or custody battle or grieving for a loved one. You're supposed to feel those emotions. Anyway, so they put me on this Prozac and it didn't work right for me. I mean, I didn't feel anything whatsoever. I'd look at a guitar and I could play my songs, but you couldn't have paid me to write one. I was like, I don't even know how I did that. I don't want anybody to think that I'm like anti-med. I'm not. What I am is fucking anti-doctors being lazy, like pushing you through like the fucking medical grinder. Just the healthcare system in this country in general, especially the mental health, is fucking whacked, man. Yeah, it's... well, I'm in Canada, so I'm a bit luckier that way. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about something quite sensitive with you here. Matt, your original guitar player, was found in jail, um, dead. And yes. um, I wanted to maybe hear what some of the emotions around that were at the time. Ah, geez. Um, well, in a lot of respects, I'm not entirely sure that I've sorted it all out yet. And in a lot of respects, I'm fairly certain I never will. Yeah. I, I'll never be over it. I would, I'll never be over it. Uh, I mean, it had been many, 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 many years since me and Matt played together and since he was in Plains. But the fact is, he was still a huge part of it. Huge part of my heart. Huge part of, like, all of our lives. And I miss him. I think part of the reason it's been so hard that I've been at grips with it is because before he died, I had already sort of buried him in my mind and in my heart and soul because it was too hard because we lost him to addiction years ago yeah matt and me were went through a lot together and you see this with people you grow up with you'll you'll be neck and neck with something and then they just take off with it and that's how he was with drugs we were all there we were all part of it we all dabble but matt just took a real real liking to him and also, I think some people are predisposed to certain addictions. And he was predisposed to, you know, opiates. Yeah. And uh, he got, I mean, it's no secret. So, you know, it still feels weird talking about it because some people would say it's in bad taste. But I think it's the right thing to do as a cautionary tale. Matt would want that. Matt was a huge advocate for people with mental illness and people with addiction. He understood, I think, up until the end that he was sick and he was sick and uh, yeah, I wish, I mean, all of us did everything we could to try to steer him away from it, but we live and die by our decisions. And basically he, he just swallowed him up and he had enough petty charges over the years for dumb shit, possession, shoplifting to try to make money for drugs, dumb shit that he had enough of it add up that, he was looking at real time and Matt Bellinger was not the kind of person you could put in a cage, even at his best. That guy is full of fire. So I know exactly what happened and it breaks my heart, but I understand it to a certain extent. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean, here you got a guy that's already feeling hopeless. He's going through the, the throes of withdrawal. The prison system treats drug addicts and people with mental illness like fucking animals. They don't care. You're just another fucking hood to them. And that's what they treated him like, and that's what he ended up feeling like, and we lost Matt, and it guts me. Yeah, and I'm really sorry that you lost your friend. Yeah, I mean, thank you. I just, 
I'm looking at them right now. I got them in a can. Yeah. <laughs> My grandfather's old uh, tobacco can. It's really pretty. I talk to him every day. Um, I've seen you play quite a few times, at least a handful of times over the years. And, you know, you're pretty mild-mannered um, off the stage. You get on there, and all of a sudden, uh, the animal comes out. Oh, yeah. that's. I think you hit it on the head. I mean, I can't really see myself, but I know that I go somewhere different, and a different aspect of me takes the wheel. It's kind of like uh, being an athlete to a certain extent. What do they call it? When runners, they hit the wall and they keep on going. It's a, it is an animal kind of inside you that takes over. <laughs> you have to get your breathing down or you lose your shit. <laughs> yeah. Garrett, what does survival mean to you? What does it mean? At this point, uh, everything. When we're younger, we don't really... And mind you, I'm still a young man. But when we're younger, we don't really think about it. We take it for granted. But when you get closer to your twilight and when you start losing people, you start to really realize what survival means. And to me, it's everything because I want to be here to make what little shred of the world that I'm part of better in any way that I can. And I want to make it kinder. And I have to survive to do that. And I want to teach my kids to be better people and to be kinder. And I have to survive to do that. And I want my wife and my friends to feel loved every day to the, the furthest extent that they can. And I feel like I have to stay alive to love them. So that's what survival means to me. Thanks a lot for, for joining me today and talking about all these things. I mean, I think you're a really inspiring person, always have been and always will be. What you're going through is tough, like it is for all of us, but uh, you've definitely taken some steps to mitigate and uh, come out the other side, holding on to these things that challenge you, but also make you stronger. Thank you, friend. Yeah, and just keep on hanging in there. It's a rough row sometimes, but there's so much good shit out there still. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Screen Therapy. Screen Therapy is now airing on college and community radio stations. They include my hometown radio station, CGMP, out of Pell River, Radio Humber from Humber College in Toronto, Ontario, and Radio Waterloo, CKMS, from Waterloo, Ontario. If you like a certain radio station, hit them up and tell them about the podcast. You can connect with me at soundcloud.com slash screamtherapy, or you can email me directly at jasonshures at telus.net. That's J-A-S-O-N-S-C-H-R-E-U-R-S at telus.net. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, take care and be well. Keep it safe.